Don Rittenauer to your prayers. Don will be having surgery on Wednesday. So keep Lamar and Don in your prayers. Also, Carol Spurlock. Um, Carol was at home and she fell and broke her femur. And um, so she has had um, a plate and some screws put in up at Orlando Regional Medical Center. And uh, so she'll have a pretty long rehab. I know that they would appreciate your prayers. So Carol Spurlock. Um, Stan Schoonover uh, is finishing up or finished up his last uh, treatments uh, with radiation. And uh, so he's home now. I, I know that they would appreciate your prayers as he does recover. Um, also, I uh, want to let you know um, that last week after second hour, uh, they did the race car little deal, Hot Wheel race car deal, and four children put their faith in Christ. Uh, so I appreciate those of you that prayed for that uh, on um, After you left, I just thank the Lord for that. Also, I want to thank the Lord for um, the people helped out with the work day yesterday. I had a good group of people spreading mulch and uh, just doing different things around on the outside. I appreciate Stuart and those guys that organized all that. So thank you to all those who uh, were involved in the work day. Also, I want to say congratulations to Eric and Amy Zwayer. Uh, they had a little girl uh, on last Sunday, 9 pounds, 15 ounces. And so mom and baby, everybody are good, home, doing well. So we thank the Lord to that, and congratulations to Eric and Amy. Uh, also, um, I want you to know, uh, if you are a visitor or if you fill out a prayer card or one of those things, um, we do read those things, and we do um, pray for those things, and we do reach out to people through those things. And um, it's been um, over 10 years ago we got a prayer card. And I don't know who filled out the card. But it was from Rebecca and Bobby Williams. They'd come to church on Sunday. Monday wasn't feeling well, so they went to the hospital. And he found out he had cancer. And because of that card, and because the Lord brought him here, we've had a chance to love his girls and love his wife. And that will be five years ago today that Bobby passed away. So it's been probably... Six years ago that we had a chance to meet Bobby, visit him in the hospital. And so I'd ask you to pray for the Williams family as they grieve the loss of their of husband and dad. And um, I don't know if you've ever lost a loved one, but it, these days are difficult. And it's like, you know, it's been five years, but all the emotion comes back as if it was like yesterday. So I just ask you to be praying for the Williams family. Thank the Lord that Bobby is with Jesus today. I thank the Lord for whoever one of the family members filled out the card that we got a chance to love his wife and his girls and then know his little girl's going to go to Mexico this summer and to see them here. I just appreciate and love y'all. And so I'd ask you to continue to pray for the Williams family. If you have your Bible, I'd like for you to go with me to 1 Timothy. Thank you to Harry and the worship team, and and uh, thank you, Megan, for praying. And uh, it's neat to hear little people prayer, pray, and it's neat to see the faith of children in, uh, in their Jesus. So excited about that. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start uh, today picking it up in verse 6, but just a little bit of, um, you know, reminder of where we've been. This is the Apostle Paul as a messenger of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's sharing with young Timothy what he expects and what he wants to encourage Timothy. 
in that process as he's involved with Timothy. He wants Timothy to be a messenger of Christ because Jesus is the only one who can offer hope. And Paul knew that, and he's sharing that with Timothy, and he's going to challenge Timothy to remain true to that and to share that with the church in Ephesus, that Jesus Christ is the only one that provides hope and the only one that provides eternal life. He's asking Timothy to stay in Ephesus. He's going to encourage Timothy to teach against those who are are, uh, teaching false doctrine. There are some people in that church in Ephesus that have devoted themselves to other things than Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to miss and genealogies. And to those people are the ones that Paul is encouraging young Timothy to stay involved in their lives. He's going to encourage young Timothy to love them. And here at Bible Fellowship Church as a family, we want to describe love by the, by the Word of God. And we want to use 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We do not believe that love is a feeling. We believe that love is a choice. We believe that love is sacrificial. And Paul's going to ask young Timothy to love these people sacrificially. He's going to challenge uh, young Timothy to love these people with a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That is where we've been uh, in this book. And I want you to pick it up in verse 6 as we read on. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. Some have wandered away from these things and turned to meaninglessly talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what the law is what they are talking about, or they don't know, have any confidence to affirm them. We know that the law is, is good for one use. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, the religious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for adulterers, for perverts, for slave trade, for liars, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he has entrusted to me. So this morning as we look at Paul and he shares with Timothy, he's telling Timothy that there are some people that have wandered away to meaninglessly talk. They no longer have put their faith in Christ. For whatever reason, they were looking for something else. And so Paul identifies these people that they have turned to the law. Now, as I think about the law and I think about Old Testament, I think about the different things that you know, we've been aware of. What was, I asked myself the question, what was the purpose of the law? Why did God set it up? Was there a design to it? Now, as I think about the Old Testament purpose of the law... And now I think about as you fast forward to what the law is now when Paul's talking to Timothy. It's interesting if you would compare what the Old Testament law was and what the Jewish believers knew. And now you move it up to the New Testament where Paul's talking to Timothy. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, have added a lot more to the law than what was in the Old Testament. They were setting up rules, certain things. That they were saying, this is spiritual, this is law. And if you remind yourself, I've been reading back through the book of Luke. As I go back through the book of Luke, you need to go back and look how Jesus dealt with the people that followed the law. It's amazing how many times Jesus goes to situations and he heals somebody on the Sabbath. Which was a huge no-no to the Jewish culture. 
You don't work on the Sabbath. You do nothing on the Sabbath. And if you watch and look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just watch and go back and read almost like a smile on your face. You'll see Jesus enter. There's some Pharisees. There's teachers of the law. There's these guys that had set up what religion looked like. They've added things to it. And so Jesus walks up to them and says, there's somebody on the Sabbath. And what does he do? He heals them. And these people get aggravated at Jesus because he heals people on the Sabbath. Is there a purpose to the law? Yes. As I was looking through uh, different people's thoughts on this, I came across James Vernon McGee. And the law's purpose is this. God used the law to show we needed a savior. Under the law, the best man in the world is absolutely condemned. But under the gospel, the worst man can be justified if we only believe. Only believe. And so where where Paul is talking to Timothy, these people are not interested any longer in the believing part. They're interested in the law. And Paul spoke very frankly about that. They have no idea what they're talking about. It's interesting. Go to me. Go with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. Most of us, if we... Look back at the Ten Commandments. These are, just, these are just Ten Commandments. This is not the total law. But here's just Ten Commandments. It would have been interesting if these people in the church at Ephesus would have said, you know what, forget all of the other parts of the Old Testament law and said, we're just going to follow along with the Ten Commandments. And I know you know these, but I just want to read them because I love to hear the Word of God. Uh, Paul, or uh, not Paul, Moses, here we go. Um, verse 1 of Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You will have no other gods before me. You shall not, you shall not make for yourself any form of anything in heaven or earth, beneath it, or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who will love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your manservant, your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so as I think about these Ten Commandments, now I want you to go back to me to 1 Timothy. 
Should we go back to, go back to, um, let's just pick it up in verse 8. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. So Paul's not saying the law is bad, but he wants Timothy to know you have to use it properly. We also know that the law is not made up for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers. Now, it's interesting as you pick up in verse 9, there's three things he says. Lawbreakers, ungodly, sinful, unholy, not devoted, irreligious. Those three are sins against God. The other ones that Paul describes to young Timothy is interesting to me. The second group, those where it says, um, for those who will kill their fathers and mothers, mothers for murders, for adulterers, for perverts. Interesting, our NIV says murders, fathers, and mothers. As I was looking and just reading, it's, why would Paul say murder fathers and mothers and then say for murderers? It, it didn't make sense to me. So I was just reading, thinking, who kill their fathers and mothers. I, I'm, this is just a thought. I won't take a bullet for it, but this is something I've just been thinking about as I read this passage of Scripture. Paul is encouraging Timothy in this church at Ephesus that children should obey their parents. Children should honor their parents. And then he says murderers, adulterers, and perverts. Murderers is the sixth commandment. Adulterers and, and perverts to sexual sin is the seventh commandment. Slave trades may correspond eighth and liars in uh, verse nine or, or the ninth commandment. So you've got a group of people that Paul's saying, look, they've turned their focus away from Christ. They're saying, here, I want to follow the law. So I wanted you to see that. Here's something I find very interesting, though. After Paul says this to Timothy, whatever else is contrary to to sound doctrine. I think you need to highlight that and really think about that in your life. Obviously, all of us have a tendency or, a, or an inkling to follow something of this world to provide us joy. We all have a tendency to be distracted. I am less distracted now. I'll probably be more distracted come August, September when college football comes back on. I'm not really interested in baseball that much. Some of you in here love baseball. I have more of a tendency to be, can be distracted or be aggravated or really happy, depend on who wins and loses in those times of the year. Um, and so we all have a tendency to be a little bit distracted. And all of us have a tendency to want to have a man Tell us what Christianity should look like. All of us want to have somebody say, this is what spirituality is. And so it's really important, even living in in America, even living in Highlands County, that we come back and protect ourselves with sound doctrine. I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you're probably aware of it. The world's changing, isn't it? It's a lot different now than what it was 20 years ago. You know what's very important? That we in here do not change like the world changes. How do we make that happen? Sound doctrine. You and I have to be aware and know what goes on in the world. It's going to change. We should be okay with that. I mean, we're not, I don't know if okay is probably not the right word, 
um, knowing that the world's going in a totally different direction than Christ, I don't ever want to be okay with it. I want to reach people with Jesus, but I don't want to be stressed about it. I want to step back and say, hold on a second, because if I'm focusing on issues, I am distracted. What's the number one priority of our lives? Making sure that we represent Jesus Christ well and speak his name often. I think what happens if we're honest, obviously we're probably not really too worried about focusing on the law. I don't know anybody in our church family that's saying, yeah, we're more interested in following the law than we are following Jesus. I just wonder how many of us are sitting in this room that are say we're following Jesus, but we're not. What's interesting? How you believe where your faith is dictates what you're going to do. Here's a really good example. Any of you checked the bolts on your seat when you walked in and sat down this morning? No. You expect us to make sure that those things are not going to break when you sit down, don't you? You didn't do anything. You just came in, you sat down. You believed that that seat was going to be safe, and so you acted on it. You sat down. Here's something that's really interesting. Is your doctrine, what you believe... Dictate how you live your life. Not what I think, not what your neighbor thinks, not what a preacher says, but the what I know is true here dictate how I live my life. Because if it's not, guess what? You're going to be following myths and genealogies. You're going to be following the law. You're going to be following a person. You're going to be following an opinion. You're going to be following a preference. And those things do not lead to eternal life. There's only one thing that I've found over all these years that leads to eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ. And so Paul, it's, it's sometimes as, as muddy and as, as you know, unexciting as it can be, Paul says this, that I want you to follow sound doctrine. This group is following the law. The law was purposeful. It was to lead people to Christ. For them to say, you know what, I am a sinner. I recognize I'm a sinner. I can't keep this law. So I need a savior. These people have turned from that and said, you know what? We're following the law. What are you following this morning? Where are you going? Where's your hope? Where's your joy? Paul has said to Timothy, something has been entrusted to you, young man. What has been entrusted to Timothy? The gospel. I you to think about that. What's been entrusted to you? The gospel. If there was one of you sitting in this room this morning that had the cure for cancer, would you keep it to yourself? If there was one of us sitting in this room this morning that said, you know what, we can fix heart disease. Would you keep it to yourself? If there's one of us sitting in this room this morning 
that had the opportunity to go over to Nepal, stop the earthquake, would have we stopped it? And no, you sat here and said, you know what? I would rather just let people suffer today. There's not one of us sitting in here that would probably do that. You have something that's been entrusted to you that can radically change people's lives for the rest of their life. You know what it is? The gospel. It's been entrusted to you. It's being passed on. Can you imagine, Timothy, as he's thinking about all these people that are following this, and then Paul comes along and says, hey, young man, there's sound doctrine here. Hey, young man, follow this. There's something been entrusted to you to pass on to the next generation. And guess what? It's not his preference. It's not his rules. It's the glorious gospel. It's not what man thinks. Timothy's living in a generation that men were following something that was not going to provide hope. That was going to lead and destroy families. And Paul's saying, hey, stay there in Ephesus. Even though it's going to be hard. Love those people. Even though it doesn't make sense. Even though people are going to laugh at you. Oh, you're going to follow that Jesus, Timothy? Yeah, I'm going to follow that Jesus. Because that's what Paul's challenged me to do. That's what's going on inside of me. There's something deep down inside of me saying, follow this. Follow the glorious gospel. And it's important for us as a family to know what that is. We need to be very clear about the gospel. Take your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15. What is the gospel? Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, pick it up in verse 3. Paul's now talking to the church at Corinth. A young group of believers. They don't have it all together. Kind of a messed up group. He says this. For what I received, I passed on to you as first important. What's first important? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and to twelve. And then after that, more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. The gospel. Take your Bible. Go to John chapter 3. Most of you, if you think about John chapter 3, you pick... You think of John chapter 3, verse 16. When I think of John chapter 3, I think of this. I remind myself of Nicodemus, of the young man or, or man at this time that was a Pharisee that was trying to figure out, am I going to follow this Jesus guy? And so John chapter 3, in the beginning, he comes to, to Jesus at nighttime. And he says, Jesus, I've been, I've been watching you. Verse 2, he says, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who, who comes from God. You can perform miraculous signs where you're doing, we, we've, we've, we're not with, you know, you, we've never seen this before. In reply, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Born again, what is that? Nicodemus had no concept of that. But if you read on, and you go to, to John chapter 3 and verse 13, he says this. No one has, has been gone, gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. See, Nicodemus remembered this Old Testament passage of Scripture. Nicodemus was reminded when the Israelites were complaining that God sent fiery serpents to that nation, and those people were bitten by the snake. And they died. 
And so they cried out, God, send us a Savior. So what did God do? Yes, and to put a bronze serpent up. And whoever got bit by that serpent, all they had to do was look at that serpent and they would live. Now, can you imagine the laughter amongst that crowd? Really? You're going to put a snake up that bites us. So we're going to get bit by a snake. If we look at this thing right here, if we look at it, we're going to live. I mean, really? Can you imagine the guys walk around and saying, oh, well, I got bit, but I'm, I'm not looking at that thing. I don't need that bronze serpent. There's no way I'm going to turn it. Fine, you don't have to. You can die. You know what's very interesting? I'm sure there was many people that died that day. I don't know how many. You know what else I know? There's some people in that group that made a choice to live. You know how they live? By obedience. They turned to that serpent, and that serpent was what set them free. Game life. Now think about this. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believes. In what? In him. Should have everlasting life. Ooh, the choice. You know what's really interesting? It's individual choice. See, it's there. Is it there for decoration? No. It hangs there for us to turn and walk into this building every single week and say, hey, there it is. There's our Savior right there. His name's Jesus. The one who's willing to die on a cross for our sins, his name's Jesus. You know what's interesting? You make the choice. In a world that's changing, you're going to have to make a choice. Just like in Ephesus, as Paul's talking to Timothy and saying, hey, Timothy, hang in there. Hey, Timothy, I've left you with something. I've entrusted you with something. What? The glorious gospel. No matter what society says, no matter how many times you get laughed at, just know this, Timothy, there's only one thing that provides hope. His name is Jesus Christ. And so they've gathered around, and Timothy's been left, has been entrusted with something, the glorious gospel. Salvation is by faith. You all know the passage very well. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Please never ever leave off verse 10 when you look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why? Because you've been entrusted with the gospel, and he expects you to work for the gospel. He expects you to be a representation of himself to a world that is dying and lost, no matter how bad it gets in America. We have a responsibility because we've been entrusted with the gospel. As I think about that plan, that God has entrusted young Timothy with the gospel. Was Timothy perfect? No. Was Timothy a savior? Uh, Not a savior. Was Timothy a sinner? Absolutely. I don't want you to forget a passage of scripture this morning. Knowing that you've been entrusted with the gospel. Please take your Bible and go with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know what's so exciting is, this morning we know that we've been entrusted with the gospel, but we do not have to represent the gospel in our own strength. Acts chapter 1 was set up so that you and I would say, you know what, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us to empower us to be a witness for the gospel. Just want to remind you of this. Those men that were closest to Jesus called his disciples. After he died on the cross, they sat in an upper room afraid. Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 1. Just remind yourself what happened to those disciples. Their lives were empowered from the inside out. The ones that knew him well, the ones heard him talk, the ones who saw the miracles, the ones when he said to them, hey, I'm going to die. They didn't get it. I understand why. Because God had blinded their eyes. He hadn't set it up. They weren't ready for all this. But now in Acts chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of these guys, guess what happens? They're no longer afraid anymore. They're willing to die for who? Jesus. They were no longer sitting in an upper room living in fear. They became empowered warriors of the gospel that was entrusted to them. Did they do it all right? No. Did they make their mistakes? Absolutely. So this morning as we gathered in a room, we call it the BFC family. We call it a sanctuary. We call it church. Oh, it's great to be here. It's fun to be sitting around. It's great for fellowship. But just a reminder this morning, there's a lot of things that can distract you. There's a lot of things that you can follow that will lead you to your death and will destroy you. There's one thing that you can follow and has been entrusted to me because when I was a whirly bird, I said, yep, Jesus, I believe in you. So now I'm, a, I'm somebody that's a representation of who? Jesus Christ. I'm a messenger. I have the privilege to be his son. I want you to know something. As a son, I need his power from the inside out. can't do this in my own strength. And neither can you. So it's okay to gather as a family. To dress up, look nice. Act like you like your spouse. Smile. Walk around this morning saying you're doing fine when I know you're struggling. It's really neat to gather as a group of broken people. And say, Jesus, would you empower us from the inside out? Would you allow us to be your representation to Highlands County of a Savior? Knowing that you have full right to veto its power. Knowing that there will be times in your lives that you will follow a lie. That you will get distracted. This group of believers, this group in Ephesus... This group that Paul's sharing with young Timothy, their distraction was the law. Something that should have drove them to their knees before their Savior is something they chose to worship. 
something that was good. Just be careful that the things that are good for you do not make a very good Jesus. If there's something that is distracting you from Jesus, maybe you need to stop this morning and say, hold on a second, I need to reevaluate. What kind of messenger are you of this glorious God? He's alive this morning. He's given you and I an opportunity and a privilege to be his ambassador on this earth. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, be confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you and be faithful to complete it. Philippians chapter 1 verse 22, to live as Christ is to die as gain. Philippians chapter 4, 8 through 13, Paul shares that he has learned to be content in all circumstances, all situations. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Matthew chapter 18, 19 through 20. It's been entrusted to us to go all around the world, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching people to obey the word of God. That's our marching orders. That's our command. I know most of you that are here this morning. I don't know all of you. I know somebody who does. His name's Jesus. You know what's really interesting? He's looking through here this morning. He knows which ones are his sons and daughters. He knows which ones are his sons and daughters that are distracted. He knows which ones sons and daughters are following myths, they're following laws, they're following lies of this world. He knows. He loves you. He's not mad at you. You know what he's doing? He's knocking on your heart. Saying, I'm here. I want to speak to you today. He knows which one of us, you are sitting in here, he knows which sons and daughters that are just absolutely worn out because they've served him faithfully from the inside out. They've come back on Sunday morning to be recharged to go back out to battle again. Why? I can't describe everyone. I just know this. He knows what's going on inside of your life. He knows what you need. And he wants to speak to you today. If you're in this room and you say, you know what, Jesus, there's been a time in your life that you've accepted salvation by faith. Guess what? You're his messenger. What's your message? Florida Gator football is fun. University of Kentucky losing, wonderful. You know what's more exciting? My Savior's alive today. Knowing that my Savior can get involved in your life if you just open it up and say, hey, I'm hurting here today. I need you here today. You're sitting in this room and there's never been a time you said, you know what, by faith I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Make it today. You're living your life empty. Don't be empty anymore. Let Him fill you up. Let Him provide hope for you. Let Him encourage your heart. Let him heal you from the inside out. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you that we can open up our Bible today. Father, I just pray for the 
the man, the woman, the boy, the girl around the world that loves you, that doesn't have the privilege to open up their Bible because they're afraid that somebody might kill them. <coughs> Father, you know where those places are around the world. And I just ask that you would protect those people who give them courage, courage to live or courage to die. Pray for the people that have been hurt by this earthquake. Somehow, some way, Holy Spirit, Jesus, do a work in that area so people come to know you. This isn't a surprise to you. This earthquake's not a surprise. Father, as we move it back to our own family, as you look here this morning, you know the ones that are sitting in this room that have never put their faith in you. That have never said, yes, Jesus, I want you to be the one that forgives my sin. Yes, Jesus, I believe in you. And saying I believe, it says this, Jesus, I believe that you died, that you were buried, and that you rose again, you're alive today. You're sitting in this room and you've never done that. Make today the day of salvation. Provide grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. He died for you. He wanted you to have a Savior. He wanted you to have hope this morning. So if you're sitting in this room, you say, Pastor Todd, that's me. <coughs> Pastor Todd, today's the day that I'm saying yes to Jesus. Would you just put your hand in here? That's me today, Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you that we're a family that say we know you. So, Father, as we say that we know you, may we live our lives with the power of your Holy Spirit to actually show that we know you. May we be a family that's not just say, hey, I love you, but may we be a family that makes a choice to sacrificially, with the help of the Holy Spirit, live for you, with you. May you be able to speak through us a message. And may that message be very clear. May our message always be Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. May our message be that you've entrusted to us the gospel. May we not water it down. May we not make it too simple. May we not be afraid of it. May we stand with boldness with the help of your Holy Spirit in a community, in a nation that chooses not to love you, Jesus. Father, thank you so much for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege of entrusting the gospel to us, knowing that nothing really happens through us. It always happens totally through you. May we be a family of open vessels, willing to follow you. If you're here this morning and you'd like to pray with somebody, we have the What's Next ministry out the back, second door on the left. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather around the word of God. Holy Spirit, please come move in our family. Use our family to be a testimony, to be a witness of what's been entrusted to us. 
your name I pray. Amen.